for joining us, and welcome to the Reptile Living Room, featuring John Taylor of Herp House Magazine and James Tintle with Cold-Blooded Publishing. The Reptile Living Room is brought to you by Herp House Magazine, the premier digital magazine for the reptile hobbyist, and by Cold-Blooded Publishing, your exclusive reptile media publishing company. Now, here are John and James in the Reptile Living Room. Good evening and welcome to another broadcast of Reptile Living Room. We're the only independently produced and distributed live reptile broadcast available today. Each week we bring to you a specific panel of herpetoculture and herpetoculture. Uh, each week we bring to you a specific panel of herpetoculture and herpetological respondents to discuss the various aspects of our community and current events impacting and affecting herpetoculture and herpetology. Reptile Living Room also brings modern-day technology to our community through an interactive platform. Interact with our hosts, guests, and other like-minded individuals on the Reptile Living Room YouTube channel live during the show. I'm your host, James Tintle of Tremendous Tricolors, and I'd like to introduce my co-host there, John of Herp House Magazine. John, how are we doing tonight? John, you there? Well, I guess John's not with us tonight. I think he, uh, where'd he go? Anyway, besides John, we have Chad, our executive producer over there. Say hello there, Chad. How's it going, everybody? How have you been there, Chad, while we're waiting for John to get his uh, technical difficulties all set and worked out over there? Uh, I've been wonderful. Been, uh helped my buddy set up some new cages today for, uh, he got some uh, jewel lacertas and some bearded dragons come in today, so great. Set cages up all day. That sounds like fun. Oh yeah. So, so anyway, we have an actually interesting show today. But I, before we get into our panelists and our guests on the show, we're actually waiting for a couple to join us. Um, I, I want to uh, visit our sponsors a little bit. We actually have one of our sponsors is actually on our show tonight, R Rachel Winchin of Happy Gecko Sticky Situation. And Rachel, I think I got it right this time. Did I write, Did I do it correctly? You sure did. <laughs> All right. Finally, after about seven weeks of saying it, I think I got it correct. <laughs> I laugh so. every time too. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as bad as uh, Daniel Parker and the uh, Sunshine Serpents. So tongue twister. Anyway, so we got that, and oh, there's John. Hello. Glad, glad you could join us tonight there, John. Gee, Christmas. Google all of a sudden just, like, completely freaked out on me and decided, <laughs> no, we're not going to let you do anything. And I was like, oh, well, that was, okay. Well, I'll just restart, and hopefully they'll figure it out. <laughs> well. Hi. Well, good thing you have a co-host like me to uh, help you out with the intro. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. <laughs> boy, oh boy. So, how much about uh, how much of this did I actually miss? 
Not much at all. We were just getting into the sponsors. <laughs> I had to do the tongue twister of uh, Happy Gecko's sticky situation for Rachel. So I got that one down pat tonight. Awesome. So it wasn't like my uh, rocket intro or the uh, Daniel Parker... Uh, uh, Sunshine Sharpish? <laughs> yeah. Sunshine Sharpish? <laughs> Oh, uh, no, no, not at all. So who else do we have for sponsors tonight? We have Reptiles Express, um, yeah, Reptile, Reptile Shipping. Express, for sure, Reptile Shipping. Uh, we actually did some comparisons. Uh, for those viewers that are actually listening, or watching, rather, uh, we did some comparisons today on a question that was posed to me. I won't go into company names. I'll just say if you find the post that, in the, uh, that this is regarding, it's out there. It was asked of me why that a certain person should ship with Reptiles Express. My immediate answer was customer service is known uh, for Reptiles Express um, to be well above and beyond anything we've ever heard of. And then they said, well, you know, other companies are offering, are offering this uh, coupon. Does Reptiles Express offer that coupon? I told that individual I would look into it. I have yet to look into that. I have uh, to get an email over there yet. However, we did some comparisons, and with those comparisons, even with the competitor's coupon, Reptiles Express was actually the same price after the use of the coupon. If not cheaper in some circumstances. If not cheaper in some cases. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Reptiles Express, check them out. Um, we also have uh, Digital Aquatics, the Herb Keeper, uh, which we're going to be reviewing in a photo blog soon, as well as Blue Maestro uh, and uh, Kirsten out at Blue Maestro. And awesome. the Tempo. I'm sorry? The Tempo the device, tempo. yes. The Tempo device. Yeah, it's an awesome uh, thermometer, and uh, the one that Jimmy has actually does uh, humidity as well. Uh, no, review not, on yet. That. not yet. Oh, no. I won't have that. I won't have that one. And I'm, uh, Kirsten and I talk. I may have it with me at Daytona. So if anybody sees me at Daytona show, if I have a table, um, I should have the new one with me, and you can check it out. And then it's going to record temperature, humidity, and um, temperature, humidity, and what oh, what was the other one, John? Uh, barometric pressure. Barometric pressure. That's right. And it's all going to be recorded for 30 days. So you guys can – I'd love it. I mean, I have it set in my incubator now, and I don't even have to open the door to the incubator. I just check my smartphone. Boom. There it is. It tells me what temperature it is. So it's great, and it gives me a 30-day, and it records data every half hour. And I can set it even closer and record data every 15 minutes, but it's a great device. And that's the Tempo by Blue Maestro. Definitely. And, um, oh, our guest from last week um, with the enclosure. Oh, Frilled Warrior Project. Frilled Warrior Project, thank you. Gee, it's Christmas. Yeah. I didn't want to say Wounded Warrior, and I was like, no, it had a reptile before the warrior part, and I couldn't remember what reptile it was for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, Frilled Warrior Project. Definitely check them out on Facebook. Awesome program. Uh, Custom-built enclosure. And basically, it's the enclosure of the animal, the whole nine yards, um, and it's being raffled off. And all ninety percent of the proceeds are going to the Wounded Warrior Project uh, to help recovering vets uh, 
recover, find jobs, just the the whole Wounded Warrior project is just awesome. Yeah, and Chad, if you would, could you post that link in the YouTube comments for our viewers? Um along with Blue Maestro and stuff, post those links down there in the comment section, and that way anybody that wants to support the Frilled Warrior Project uh, can do so from the show tonight. Thanks, Chad. All right, and uh, of course check out Her Palace Mag. Uh, we are coming out a little bit late on the July issue. Uh, we had some minor delays. Slackers. With, uh, with um, getting ourselves moved and Resituated and everything else. Um, so, Herb House Mag is also a sponsor. It will be out soon. Um, who else do we have for sponsors, Jimmy? Well, we could we could throw in Tremendous Tricolors. Um, there's the logo right there. Um, so we can throw Tremendous Tricolors in tonight, um, and also Cold Blooded Publishing. Uh, Cold Blooded Publishing. We have the Guide to Honduran Milk Snakes book out, um, and Tremendous Tricolors. If you check out my Facebook page. I am just overrun with babies the past couple weeks. Hopefully I can get to pictures tomorrow. Sorry for all the customers waiting. Um, I should have pictures and sexes up all the animals. Hopefully tomorrow if time allows me to do so. Yeah, what was the message count this morning? A hundred and something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, everybody busting my chops about getting these pictures up. They're all waiting to see what they look like. <coughs> uh, that's a good thing, though, right? Yeah, a absolutely. That that's for sure. So. All right. So basically, let's uh, just kind of jump right into the show here. As far as uh, tonight's atmosphere, as far as the whole show is concerned, we're not really doing a um, the panel discussion tonight. It's more of kind of a relaxed atmosphere. More of like you're joining us in our living room, having coffee with our friends, you know, talking about the what-if situation of disasters. Um, we've all encountered them. Um, some of us have encountered more than others. But we're all going to talk about, you know, disaster preparedness, you know, what are you doing in the evacuation situation, you know, and look at it from all aspects as far as, you know, fire, flood, you know, blackouts, brownouts, you know, you name it. Uh, Tornadoes, hurricanes. Yeah, exactly. Blizzards. <laughs> Blizzard Icebergs hurricane. floating through your house. Oh, that, that only happens in Canada. Right. <laughs> so, Do you guys have polar bears up there? <laughs> oh, see, and Rachel, man, she's got tsunamis up there, up in Oregon. Gee, even at Christmas. Uh, tsunamis and mudslides, right? Yeah, that's true. Up in Washington there. We get a lot of mudslides here, but the, there's so much tsunami awareness in in the Coos Bay area. We've got signs everywhere. We have maps and stuff to show where the tsunami safe zones are and stuff like that. So that's really helpful. The community really comes together to try and make sure that everyone's safe and we have plans and that sort over here. But yeah, tsunamis are very, it's a, I'm just outside of the tsunami zone, uh, so we're just safe. Um, luckily, we did that before we moved. We checked to make sure that we were in the tsunami safe zone before we moved, and that was pretty important to us because it's pretty close. There's a, they happen. It's about that time for them to happen, anyway. So, I've never ever witnessed a tsunami in any any time. I say, grab the surfboard. Let's go. 
<laughs> a lot of people do during storms, and when we had that, that back when Japan had that tsunami, we had a huge tsunami warning here, and people, like, didn't go to work, and everyone, I was working at the bakery at the time, and I would be at work at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I get up, I haven't heard the news or anything yet, it's 4 in the morning, I didn't even know there was a tsunami. And I get to work, driving to work, I'm like, what's with all the traffic? Like, everybody was taking their RVs out of the area, like, it was it was crazy. And then there were the crazy people that were down at the beach, like, trying to watch the waves. It was pretty nuts. <laughs> so, now, as far as, uh, now, our guests tonight are uh, Rachel Winchin, uh, as Jimmy had said, and uh, Jimmy, did you introduce Chad or Becky at all, or... Well, everybody should know Chad by now. He is our executive producer and has been on the show since the first one. So um, sorry if nobody knows Chad, but let me introduce Chad one more time. Uh, Chad Burns, our executive producer. Uh, I had to tie him in because you were having technical difficulties. So I had to I had to put him on the spot tonight. And then... Uh, um, Good for Chad. Good for Chad. Our other guest is Becky Billard of HerPouseMagazine.com. She is the content manager for HerPouseMag.com. And uh, welcome to the show, Becky. Thank you. <laughs> and unfortunately, we had two other guests that were planned tonight. Um, bo both so far having technical difficulties, Tom Crutchfield and Bill Rulon Miller. Um, shout out to both those guys. Hopefully, Tom will be able to come chime in here shortly. But uh, so we'll try to get those two guys on as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, as far as um, the natural disasters, Jimmy, have you ever, because um, you originally uh, grew up in New York, is that correct, or New Jersey? Yeah, I grew up on Long Island, um, oh, on yeah, the North yeah. Shore of Long Island. So, of course, up there, I mean, you, you have the winter blizzards and, and the occasional tropical storm or hurricane. I wasn't up there for Superstorm Sandy, um, thank God, but... Um, uh, so we did have the occasional um, storm, but the whole time I spent there, really there was no major natural disaster while I had animals. And, and now, you know, I live on the west coast of Florida, so now is the big hurricane time frame, and, and it's kind of, you know, make sure you have your emergency management kit for your, your animals in place. And, um that's what we look at down here in Florida. I mean, because look at all the hurricanes that have blown through. Andrew, um, Rita, all that stuff. So, Yeah, and that most recent one, too, the uh, uh, Hurricane Arthur or the Tropical Storm. Or, yeah. How did that all work out? How did it start and what did it end up being? Because I know when it finally hit us here in New Brunswick, it ended up, being downgraded to a tropical storm, but when it was off the coast, it was still a hurricane warning. Right. Well, Hurricane Arthur actually started just off the coast of Florida, um, and it was a tropical tropical storm, uh, tropical depression, tropical storm for a couple days. It didn't become a hurricane until right before it hit the outer banks of North Carolina, and actually skirted the outer banks as a hurricane in North Carolina, and then really gained speed up towards your area, John. So really, North Carolina would have been the ones really get, you know, the major effects. We didn't feel too much on the west coast of Florida. Um, mm -hmm. East coast had a bunch of rain, which is pretty typical for Florida this time of year. But uh, North Carolina would have felt the hurricane effects, and definitely there was some uh, 
um, electricity lost, and, and I don't, I didn't see any major flooding, but some minor flooding as well. Yeah, we had some flooding around here, and uh, definitely some power outages. And that was one thing that I got uh, had to get used to real quick when uh, I moved up here last year is uh, power outages. And by power outages, meaning not uh, you know the normal power outage that I'm used to is like okay, we don't have power for a couple hours. And then next, you know, but we're now in Canada, we're talking we don't have power for like a couple of days. People and still don't have power good. from that today. What's that? People still don't have power here in New Brunswick from Arthur today, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going on, what, five days? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But there was, I think, in our province, like 100,000 people without, which doesn't seem like... A lot to most people, but that's probably half of our province. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, so, now, talking about preparedness, how do you, uh, what do you do for your uh, collection, Jimmy, as far as, you know, if well, you had to, you know, a moment's notice to, you know, get underway? Right. Well, you know, living in Florida, you know, you have your power outages. Of course, typically they come with tropical storms, sometimes with thunderstorms. But typically with tropical storms and hurricanes, we'll have our power outages. Um, of course, with a hurricane, and if it's a higher category hurricane, you know, we really have to be prepared. Back in 2004, we had Hurricane Charlie, which was scheduled to actually come right through my area and actually went wow. in south of us. But um, since that storm, I've really put in a good management system for my collection because it has grown so well, so large. It, it'll take me a little while, but when it comes to just typical power outages, I have a, um, a generator on hand that can run a window size unit to make sure that my room stays cool enough um, for whatever days. I mean, however long. At least the snake room will stay cool enough where the snakes won't overheat, or if I have eggs, like I have eggs this time of year, that they won't reach up into the 90s. Um, so, of course, I have a generator. Now, to prepare for a major storm, I, I'm going to have, I have snake bags, deli cups, and everything's marked. So, on top of, I have everything in a rack. If anybody's seen my snake room, I have racks. On top of the rack, I have a shoe box that has all the snake bags, and all the snake bags are labeled with all the snakes inside the rack. So, all I have to do is pull the shoe box out, pull the bag out, put the snake in it, tie it up, put it in a box. I have a It'll probably take me about two and a half hours to bag up everything in my room, not including babies that have hatched. I can bag and box everything up. I keep large boxes on hand that are already pre-labeled or have my return address on them, and they're labeled for a buddy up in Tennessee. And I have it all pre-worked out. So if I have a Category 3 storm, Category 4 storm, or even a Category 5 headed anywhere near my direction, they will be bagged, boxed, and shipped um, immediately. And um, up there in Tennessee, I actually set him up with temporary containers for everything. So I can drive up there and, you know, take care of everything that needs to be done. Or he can just temporarily set them up for a few days before bagging them and boxing them and shipping them back. So that's pretty much how I have it handled um, for, for a major event like a hurricane. Yeah, that's just insane, brother. <laughs> but you do have you do have quite a you know 
also quite an extensive collection too. You know, and that's the thing I think um, when I look at a lot of the major breeders uh, today is it makes me wonder, you know, gosh, they have, you know, how many thousand snakes? What, you know, earthquake, you know, like, you know, act of God, like we're talking about. How do you, it's like, if it came down to it, could you make the decision of, okay, I've only got X amount of time, which ones do I save? And it's like, wow. You know, do you start counting, you know, do you start looking at monetary value? I mean, how do you make that discrepancy? Well, you know, in my case, in in the short term, so let's say maybe it's a a rare tornado or something, um, Mm -hmm. really, you don't have a lot of time to for a tornado to pack up animals. You know, you're headed to the bathroom to put yourself in the bathtub to take care of your own life and, and you know, hope for the best. Um, right. So it, it's the longer-term ones that, or the after events, like losing electricity for days on end or something like that um, right. that you can prepare for. But, you know, for, for earthquakes and, and tornadoes where you only have a, maybe a few-minute warning, warning, if any, um, it's kind of, you know, your life's a little bit more important as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, sure. But, you know, the one thing is, is everybody should have a plan, especially, you know, during hurricanes or like on the West Coast, tsunamis, where you have, yeah. you know, a few hours or wildfires in California. John, you, you lived in California with the wildfires. You know, you may only have 24 or 48 <laughs> hours to eva- evacuate. So you have to make sure that you're able to pack them up and get them out of there and have a spot for these animals, especially when you have a large collection of, you know, 100-plus animals or 50-plus animals, you need to have that all in place. And that's for the animal safety and for the animal's benefit And because you don't want to just get up and leave them there. Yeah, I remember um, when I was doing the original Euromastics breeding and I first got into Euros and Beardies and, you know, the leopard geckos and stuff like that, and I had about 50 species of, of animals on, you know, second floor apartment in California, earthquake. You know, it was like we had enclosures bolted to wall studs. And, yeah, the apartment, needless to say that apartment manager was not happy with the uh, reconstruction projects that we did to uh, ensure the safety of our reptiles. So we ended up paying a little bit more on the uh, exiting deposit that we probably should have. But our reptiles were safe. <laughs> well, you know, that that's what the main concern is too, right? <laughs> is to make sure that your own safety and then yeah. that your pets are safe. I mean, a lot of us reptile owners actually have four-legged pets too as well or birds or, you know, even outside. You know, um, a lot of us down here in Florida keep turtles, tortoises, stuff like that outside. And, yeah. and when big natural disasters like that come, uh, you know, you have to secure those animals and make sure they're safe. I mean, you know, very rarely here on occasion we do have, you know, freezes here in Florida. Not as cold as Canada, but we do have freezes. So, you know, I pack up the animals, I bring them inside and set them in the garage. And when it warms back up, they go back outside. But, um, you know, there's so many things that, I think in the hobby, people need to really look at other than just having a, a snake or a lizard or a turtle inside as a pet. Um, if you have multiples, 
you really need to contact people either out of state or you know further inland uh, to be able to take care of these animals f for the short term and have it set up. I mean, it's it, it's pricey. I mean, setting up. I have 500 snakes, and then setting my buddy up in Tennessee with temporary housing for 500 snakes is pretty pricey. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, this is something, Jimmy, that I want to talk to you about a little bit. Uh, as far as like power outages, you know, what's the longest period that you that you've ended up going, you know, in your snake room without power? And how do you how would you deal with that? Because you're kind of in a more um, humid or tropical environment where I in California when I was there was more in a you know dry environment and then I want to ask Becky too you know because she's you know obviously from Canada there's icebergs in our rivers so <laughs> still in the middle of July you have icebergs exactly. floating down the river it's not that bad it's only until about May oh. Well, yeah. let's start. Let's start with Becky first. So, Becky, you know, the big deal with being in Canada is probably the cold weather. I mean, if you have a power outage, you're not going to have heat for the house. How, how do you go about making sure that your reptiles will have heat during that short or long-term power outage? Um, well, I find it's actually like extreme heat in the summer and extreme cold in the winter. So, in the summertime. A reptile room with all the lights, if it's not ventilated properly, can overheat, and I've definitely experienced that, sadly. And I've also experienced, like, two-day power outages where it's minus 30 outside and the house is not going to be heated. So when that happens, your pipes will burst, your, your house will freeze, and you basically can't stay there. So what I did when my collection was smaller was if I knew it was going to be an extended like snowstorm for a few days, I would actually go and stay with someone else who had power if I could. If not, I actually have a full drawer of the little reptile heat packs that you shake, not the glove warmers, but I do have those extra in case I need to add heat to an entire box of things. Um, but basically, I just have to make sure I have that, hot water bottles, or a way to have hot water, as well as a lot of insulating materials and shoe boxes, lots and lots of shoe boxes. So you basically take take the animals out of their enclosure, put them in a shoe box, and make sure you have a heating element by the 60-hour heat packs or 72-hour heat packs, and you just kind of pack them up like you were going to ship them, so yeah. that way they stay warm. Yeah, basically, and I keep a lot of like warmer reptiles, like bearded dragons and euromastics. So, um, and they're pretty like they're okay with going into a pillowcase or a snake bag. They're not ecstatic about it, but they calm down after a minute once they have heat and they're in the dark in that sort of environment. They feel like they're in a little cave and they sort of just rest. Um, I do check on them all the time with the temperature guns and such. The only thing is, when you have them like that, you have no gradient, so you kind of have to go through a, a heat cycle in the daytime and a cooler cycle at night. That's why I kind of put all the shoe boxes into another box and then have added heat during the day and then take them out for less, almost like a cooling period at nighttime. But it all has to be monitored, and depending on how long the power is out, it can be a very... Um, time-consuming, every-hour task. Now, 
Now, after say after a day or two, now you you're saying that you take them out every couple hours. You actually take unpack them and take them out, or no? But I have them where I can hear if there's an include uh, a reptile that's not happy in its bag. So if it's moving around a lot or there's something wrong, I will check on them. Um, but I have them sort of done by category. So all my bearded dragons go together and I have the one set temperature that I keep them at since there's no gradient. So I keep them usually around like 90. So it's not too hot and it's not too cold, but they're not going to sort of shut down while they're in there. And then I have things that need cooler temperatures aside. Euromastics need warmer. So I can sort of monitor every hour or two the whole area at once instead of just each individual box. Right. Now, now, how do you, do you offer water, like, um, every day or two, or... Um, depending if, on species, yeah, I would. Okay. Now, you don't feed them at any time during this. No. They go on fast as well. Yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate because certain things, if you're trying to get them to put weight on, like I've taken in rescue animals, those ones are sort of the ones I would make sure that I'm always checking and maintaining their their needs, that I have some way to keep them outside of their box that I have them in. Um, so if they need any sort of medical attention, dosing with calcium, anything like that, that I can sort of monitor it. Um, but they still have to be kept warm, so that's kind of the biggest concern is to keep them warm and keep them in the dark so that they're not too stressed in the process because it's not easy on them no matter what. And it's not easy on an actual keeper either. I mean, it, it's a very stressful situation for you as well. Yeah, for sure. You just want to make sure that their their body systems don't start to shut down and that they don't become so stressed that it's hard to sort of reintroduce them. It's almost like restarting your entire collection when it's a two-day power outage. Right, right. Well, let's, mo let's move along to actual Rachel because I want to... Uh, get some information. Now, Rachel, you keep cresties, right? Crested geckos? Yeah, I've got I've got 12 crested geckos. And well, I have 10 species of geckos. <laughs> well, so. you have some that actually come uh, Now, cresties are are they do they need higher humidity than the others or are they a dry species as well? They're a very humid species. Uh, between 50 and 60 during uh, when when I miss them, I try to get them up to about 80 to 90, and then during the day you want it to drop down to about 50, 60. So they need a they need actually a humid cycle. Okay. So so say you know you you come into an emergency situation. Um, how do you keep that you know higher humidity for those animals? I actually I have deli cups for everybody. And if, uh, I've never actually had a, an emergency situation that I've had to take any action to try and help my animals. But um, I, what I do is I have my little deli cup. I have a little kit that I have with deli cups, paper towels, you know, mists, the misting bottles and all that stuff with all the water solution, all that. Um, in case there is an emergency situation, you just take the punch deli cups. They've got little holes in them. And then you put the paper towel in, moisten that really well. Um, if it's a day or two, they should be okay with not super high humidity. As long as they have water to drink, they're fine. So I just mist them and change their paper towels every day because it's not fun to sit on the same paper towel. But, yeah, little deli cups, no big deal for them. And, and the same thing as what Becky does. You keep uh, hot packs on hand? 
Uh, yeah, I have I have heat packs, cool packs, because my the crusties are a little bit more susceptible to overheating. If they get above 82 or 83 degrees, they can get heat stressed. So I do have cool packs, and I actually use a cooler um, if I need to do any temperature changing for them. You know, with the cool packs or the heat packs, I have a, a cooler that that holds the temperature a lot better with probe gauges and stuff to monitor temperature. And, and that's where the uh, the Blue Maestro Tempo comes in really handy too because you can just put it in the box and, and you won't even have to open the box to really do the air exchange. You can actually look on your smartphone and say, oh, okay, it's cool enough, I don't have to change anything or, hey, it's warm enough, I don't have to change anything. So I figure I'd plug that for Blue Maestro again. But Yeah, um, that would be really cool actually. <laughs> It would be like an essential for every emergency kit basically going forward. It has to be. Yeah, and, you know, the unit is going to be great because it's going to do humidity, barometric pressure, and also temperature. So you won't actually have to open up a packed-up box. Like, I pack everything in a styrofoam box and a styrofoam lid to keep it all temperature for the short period of time. And, you know, you just throw throw the unit in there and you can record it. So, and uh, uh, what I'm going to start doing is I'm actually going to start recording some uh, shipments with clients as well and uh, throw the Blue Maestro uh, Tempo unit inside the box with the animals, ship them, and it'll record the data throughout the trip. So I can actually look at what the current temperatures are in the cities and what my box temperatures fluctuate back and forth. So it's going to be really neat how how I'm going to have that all structured up, ready to go for this winter and, and next spring, and hopefully I'll have data to, to really produce going next fall. Hey, Jim. But, yeah. Being, being up here in the north, I volunteer. You can send me anything you want, and I'll, I'll send you all the data you want. Yeah, exactly. Huh? Well, see, here's here's the thing. What's going to be great about this data, and, you know, I hate to get off subject, and I, I will in just a minute, is the data, the data essentially is going to be loaded up via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi to a hub. So I can actually be able to pull the data as it's going. So you won't have to send me any data. I'll have all the data sent to my phone. Well, okay, you can just send the animals my way with that. You know. oh, I'll just send you empty boxes. <laughs> send, me, send me the unit back. Well, no, because, Jimmy, the animals, you know, with the body contractions, they create heat in the box. Yeah, right, you want- you want to, yeah, you want a true reading. <laughs> Do it right. And it's, yeah. definitely, it's always the more expensive animals to create the best heat. You got it, bud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got you there. You know, those gray, bands, those gray bands that just hatched out, I'm sure those are on your list too, right? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> uh, so let's get back on topic here. And, and John, I'll answer your question too. Um, I really, you know, for power outages, for me, I don't go a length of time because I go straight out to the garage, I start the generator, and I put the window unit in, and boom, plug it in. I mean, I don't, for any long term, now if the roof of my house blew off, well, you know, that's a totally different situation. I got a lot more to worry about than just uh, heat, but um, here in Florida, we have to worry about the heat because we do get up into the mid-90s, and the, the nighttime temperatures are around 72. The snakes well, I keep, the snakes I keep, really, it's not going to bother too much as long as I can keep the temperatures 
below 90. Um, I don't want to get them too high above. They'll be able to take short periods of time in the low 90s, but it's going to cause a lot of stress for the animal. So as long as I can keep them below 90, I'll be all right. And, and a single 5,000 BTU um, window unit and a, and a single generator running that window unit, I can get my room down to 72 with it. Dude, so. you're talking about 90-degree heat being hot. My two-bedroom apartment was like 110 in the summertime because I refused to run the air conditioner because I was too cheap. <laughs> and that actually plays to uh, something else that I wanted to bring up, uh, which I'm bringing up in my uh, newest article in Herb House Mag on living with reptiles and moving, which also actually Rachel wrote about uh, for Reptile Apartment uh, just recently about moving with reptiles, which was an awesome article. Definitely check out. Um, picking animals that fit your actual, um, your habitat, as it were. So in other words, because I lived in San Diego and I knew that I, my apartment was constantly at 110 during the summertime, I already knew I would never own a, a crested gecko in my life because they're not going to survive over 90 degrees for more than a couple days. It's just, and I'm not going to, you know, air condition an entire room and run up my power bill to two, three hundred dollars to keep a couple of geckos. So I end up, you know, Euromastics, uh, bearded dragons, all the dry area species. That's what I would keep. Um, the only, the most tropical species I ever kept what, uh, was actually milk snakes, uh, that were, uh, old breeders that were actually given, donated to me by Robert Applegate. Uh, he gave me a couple of his old breeders, um, for the, I want to say it's Moristics, and I, you may, you probably get to correct me, the coloration for the king snake to coral snake, is that the Moristics, Jimmy? The coloration? Yeah. Well... Yeah, okay. I mean, it is part of the moristics, systematics uh, uh, um, of the rep of the reptile itself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's why he donated them to us, as uh, we were showing the kids. You know, a coral snake. You know, red to yellow. Milk snakes. You know, uh, red to black. Whatever. <laughs> but that's why he donated those. And those were the most tropical ones I kept. Was the uh, Honduran milk snake. But everything else was more of a dry species that I kept. Have you been that way as well, or, you know, being aware of the environment that you're living in as far as uh, what you keep? Yeah, to a certain extent. Now, I keep a lot of mountainous uh, snakes that typically don't like anything above 82. So, I mean, I do keep, keep them. And in a normal atmosphere, that's fine. But, you know, they will be able to take short-term you know, heat. So snake-wise, you know, colubrids, I don't work with a lot. I, I definitely don't work with uh, Lampropeltis zonata um, due to the fact that high humidity here and, and higher temperatures, and they like the cool, moist, you know, so I definitely don't work with that species. I've worked with them in the past. Um, I just don't, they just don't fit my collection very well. Um I don't work with a lot of the Asian rat snakes for the simple fact that, you know, my room during the summertime is 86 to 80 to 86. So, you know, I definitely don't, I, I, I don't work with those as well because they like it a little bit cooler. So, 
I am very picky on, on what I do keep, and of course I don't keep a lot of the desert species like um, uh, rosy boas or even Transpecos rat snakes because they like a lot of dry airflow, and I really can't provide that in, here in Florida. And every time I've had them, I've always had issues with them. Um, so if I would work with them, I would have to literally set up a, a new place and really get their environment to what they like. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I do. I, I, I choose species that fit, you know, the temperature range and humidity range of what what my room is. Right, right. And how about you, Rachel? Do you do the same? I noticed you, uh, Rachel was just talking about she used to live in uh, Palm Springs, 120 degrees in the summertime. Yeah, what the hell? That used to suck. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad I moved north. <laughs> Um, actually, I do prefer animals that I don't have to necessarily heat because it's just deer. The crested geckos are really great for that. I mean, my herp room is set at an even 75, 72 to 75 degrees, and I, that's the only room that I actually heat in the house. The rest of our house is about 65, and that's fine for us. We just wear extra clothes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just I prefer not to. Like, like uh, similar to how uh, what James said in... In um, in uh, Florida, I almost said Hawaii. There, it's pretty humid here. We get sixty to, to like one hundred percent humidity, and that that's tough on desert species. So I have I have six leopard geckos, but that's really it. The rest of them are humid, loving, and um, room temperature. My toke and my day gecko like the like the heat, of course. But oh yeah, okay, very cool. Now, uh, Becky, what's been your experience as far as that's concerned? <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> Caught you off guard. Sorry about that. No, I just couldn't hear it. Sorry, it cut out. <laughs> oh, one second. Ch uh... So, yeah, Becky, please. now do you... Being in Canada, you know, you have you said you have extreme cold and extreme hot variants between the dead of winter and the dead of summer. Um, how do you how do you actually correlate your collection of animals? You said you had bearded dragons and neuromastics, which are desert dwelling, hot, you know, species. Do you find that it's hard to really um, correlate those two to your temperature range inside your house? Uh, definitely. Um, basically, at my last place, I had a strict reptile room, so I had all my reptiles in there, save for maybe a couple species. Um, here at the new place, we've actually spread them around based on their environment and what each room's general temperature is. Um, but the hottest ones do go in the reptile room or where John's office is or our office. And... Um, the Euromastics are out on their own, so they cost us more to heat. But our usual temperature in here can spike up to 90. And at the last place, it could spike up to about 110. So it's kind of a lot different here than at my last place. Um, but definitely the heat comes into play for what room has what reptile in it. Great. Well... John, let, let's try to touch on, you know, not only natural disasters, but uh, maybe we want to touch on uh, what happens if somebody gets ill, too, as well. Um, 
you know? Uh, That's a hard one to tackle. A lot of people, you know, uh, nobody wants to think about it. But, you know, it's something we always have to think about um, because accidents do happen. Uh, People do become ill. And a lot of of these species, you know, especially, you know, not that I'm, you know, that old, but, you know, I'm getting up there. So, you know, it's starting to think about species, you know, okay, what can I keep? Because, you know, I'm going to be dead in 20 years or, you know, 30 years, whatever. You know, you have to start thinking about that kind of stuff. You know, so it's like you're not going to go out and buy a Galapagos tortoise right now at, you know, 45 years old because it's like, what are you going to do with it? Oh, I am. (laughs) <laughs> but then again, I have two daughters that will it'll be handed down to, and, and they'll be more than willing to take care of it for oh, their yeah, lifespan. Yeah. And hopefully hopefully I'll have grandchildren that will want to keep it for their lifespan as well, because I'm sure they'll outgrow uh, three generations of us. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it is. It, it's a topic nobody really wants to discuss, and it's something I actually, you know, in the past two years I actually lost both my father and my mom and um, at that time it made me realize what if something happened to me where would all my animals go you know I only have two daughters and they're too young to take control of the bit you know of all the animals of course they'll be able to keep whatever they want um, depending on where they're at but where do the rest of the animals go who do they go to so I actually made up and put in my will a list of every animal that I own and who needs to be contacted per animal. And because I label all my boxes with numbers and species numbers, it'll be really easy for an executor of my estate to go in there and see the number on the box, correlate it with who they have to contact, and contact them to send that animal to them. Um, so that's one way of actually doing it. But um, what about you know herb societies? They a lot of times they'll you know come into play as well, where the animals get all donated to the herb society. I do have some that will go to local herb societies and stuff as well. But you know, um, is there anybody else on the panel that has any ideas? Really, I mean, God forbid something did happen, and you know. Um, to yourself or, you know, to a significant other that you wouldn't be able to handle the an- the amount of animals. Do you have a, a plan in place or, you know, somebody to contact to help take care of them? I have, like, some for a handful, but the rest of them and anything I got is, like, breeders for my bearded dragons. Those I don't have a plan for. Um... Probably the ones I'm most attached to I do have a plan for, but that seems kind of strange of me to only pick and choose now that I think of it. Sounds like you need to make plans for some other ones. Yeah, I do. I know I have friends and like through all the groups and all the local reptile keepers here that would take them, but whoever would have to look after that would have to seek those people out. They're not pre-designated like yours would be. Right. And, and you know what's good, and John, you can touch on this too, is herpetoculture in general is very close when it comes to um, acts of nature, you know, like that. Something happened, 
somebody's always willing to help out. I mean, yeah. do you, you find the same way in the hobby as well? Yeah, that's always been my experience is, you know, when people, you know, um, hit a rough spot or something like that, uh, if, if they do reach out or if the uh, word does get out that, hey, they, you know, they're looking for some, you know, they need some help out there or whatever, the herd community usually runs right in and is fairly generous and, you know, respectful of that person's privacy as well as, uh, you know, just trying to get, get the word out and help them out. Um, in any way possible, they can. It's always been my experience. All right. So Cheryl Mitchell, uh, one of our, our weekly watchers here, um, she has a comment here, and I'll go ahead and read it and put it up on screen. Here in Indiana, our main concerns are power outages and tornadoes. For power outages, we have loads of ice packs in the f feeder freezer. We also use those for demos on more... Um, on very warm days, for hot days with no AC and several and several heat packs for cold days with no heat. For tornadoes, we always run a place with a basement, which is a good idea. So the drill is get the bird, dog, cat, and approximately 25 reptiles downstairs quickly, along with the humans. So she pretty much has a plan in place, and it sounds like a pretty good plan. Um, I know for tornadoes, for me, I don't have a basement. I live in Florida. When we dig a basement, we hit water. Um, so none of the houses down here have basements. So it's pretty much me and 500 snakes in the bathtub with a mattress and the two kids, you know, and hope the dog joins us. So, you know, I don't think I'll have much time for a tornado to really bag up that many snakes and, and, and get them, you know, Get them in the bathtub with me. So unfortunately, right. that that wouldn't suit me as too well. What about Chad? Let's go to you since you're in Ohio and you kind of have a mixed bag of stuff there in Ohio because you you get blizzards, uh, crippling blizzards in there in Ohio, and you also have uh, uh, pretty severe spring thunderstorms and, and tornadoes and stuff. Um, how do you deal with your animals? Um, because you guys up there are pretty temperate time, you know, temperate kind of uh, climate. So how do you really put put everything in perspective with your collection? Um, I always have hot water bottles, you know, many of them that will keep the heat for a while. Um, I've got a lot of candles, and if you go on YouTube, there's a way to make a space heater out of candles and um, uh, clay flower pots. It retains the heat, you know. Um, so there's ways to heat things if the power goes out. I've got a generator in case of emergencies too, but if something goes out and you can't get gas from the pumps, the generator's only going to be good as much as long as you can get fuel. So um, there's I've got a lot of backup plans and everything. So it's well, good. You're, you're and there's good. another little trick. You know, you and Becky had mentioned hot water bottles, which. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of find it strange because I don't need to keep it hot because usually here in Florida it's warm enough. Yeah. I, my trouble is keeping it cool. So what we, what I do is I actually freeze water bottles, two-liter bottles, and I'll actually wrap that two-liter bottle in a thing of newspaper and mm -hmm. put it inside the cage as well. And the snake will actually either go to it or whatever. I won't just put a frozen water bottle in. Um, I know guys out in California, and John, maybe you would um, have seen this too as well, 
is guys in California in the snake racks, they would actually line the top of the rack where <laughs> they were it, with um, uh, frozen water bottles frozen water so bottles, cold yeah. air sank into to keep them cool enough during yeah. the summertime. You'd be amazed how much the temperature would go up in a room with just a couple candles and a pot of water over it. You know, that water heats up, creates humidity. The humidity heats, holds the heat into the room, and uh, it keeps the heat in there better. So there's a lot of little tricks you can do to keep it warm. For sure. Thanks for, thanks for the invention of heat packs. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? And, and actual cold packs too. I mean, I use cold packs during shipping from here and during the summertime here in Florida. And they actually have ones that lay flat, and you just uh, soak them in water, and then you put them in the freezer, and uh, they swell up. You put them in the freezer, and then you just throw them in a Ziploc baggie and put them in a box when you ship the animals. So uh, I have plenty of those as well, but nothing to really cool a whole entire collection. Um, uh, you know, I did see. I, I don't know if any of our audience actually tried it out or not, but I did see a uh, way to cool rooms with the use of a styrofoam cooler, a solar panel fan, and a couple water frozen water jugs. And I, I don't. That. I've never tried it, but I actually oh have a couple. I've been saving my <laughs> styrofoam mouse boxes that I get all my mice shipped in. And I'm actually going to try it out because I just found a, a solar fan. And I'm going to actually try it out and see how cool I can get my room this wintertime or this summer just by using two frozen water jugs, that solar fan, and a cooler. You can actually use uh, little CPU fans too, the little 12-volt ones. You know, the, they can run all the time, not use hardly any energy. And uh, they'll draw the cold air out of them. Well, they sell, you know, they sell now. Everything's so solar now. They do sell a 12-inch fan that has a solar panel attached to it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So you just stick the solar panel out the window, and it, the cord comes right in, and it goes right to it. So, you know, you don't have to have a 12-volt uh, deep cycle battery or anything like that to re or a converter or anything. It, mm -hmm. It's just a 12-inch fan with an actual solar panel. Oh, that's cool. John, do you know of anybody that actually used that system? No, I haven't yet, but I'm really interested in it. <laughs> I'll post, I'll post a couple of the YouTube links up on um, uh, Reptile Living Room Facebook fan page. Yeah, for sure. So, you guys can check it out. Anybody else have any little tricks or tips on keeping animals alive and protecting them from our natural disasters or anything else to really catch on? Well, I would say probably if you're going away to make sure you have somebody checking your room more than once a day. I actually um, didn't expect it to happen, but I had a Brazilian rainbow boa that was in my reptile room and one of the fans gave up that was keeping the air around like 82 I think it was and because of that that room spiked over one of the hottest days of the summer it had to be but we were out of town and by the time that person checked that night it had been too hot all day and my boa had passed and that was pretty big wake-up call for not having some form of I guess 
like what the tempo does, basically, a monitoring system so that if somebody wasn't there at all times, they would notice and get an alarm as soon as something went kind of out of control. And that would have saved my snake. It was just uh, under a year old. I just got it. It was quite upsetting. Wow. Yeah. Sorry to hear it, Nick. Thank you. Well, it can happen, though, in the heat, and it can happen fast. Like, I know, Rachel, with crested geckos, they can overheat in just hours. Sometimes if it gets, I don't know, maybe 93, that's enough to kill a crestie, basically. And it happens fast, and you don't even notice, basically, unless you have a backup system. Yeah, with with the crested geckos, um, there have been several people that have been going at one of their coolers had malfunctioned in the room, and they would lose their whole collection just because the crusties are very sensitive to over 85. Exactly. So you get a hot summer day, and it's like 92 to 95 in there, and you're gone. Even for a day at the beach, you're gone for four hours. That's enough to cause such heat stress in them that it's it's too late. And even at that, like, if you were to catch them at that, they'd have been so hot so long they could have damage to them. So got to be careful about what stays in which room and how many times it's checked a day, basically. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> now, Chad, uh, speaking of emergency situations and, you know, and stuff like that, you've had to... Um, deal with some emergencies in your reptile collection uh, over the years. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Or would you mind talking about that a little bit, I guess? Yeah. Um, 2012, uh, February, um, it was a real cold winter. I had all my animals. Um, I had them on heat tapes, but I had all my ball pythons in a cabinet basically to retain the heat um, a little better in the basement. You know, it was an insulated room. Unfortunately, one of the either the heat tape malfunctioned or the thermostat malfunctioned, and it burned through the um, bottom of one of the tubs. And uh, since they're all in a closed cabinet, um, they basically smoked out my whole collection. I lost my whole collection within a week. Um, there was only what, 12 snakes, I think it was right now, but you know, 12 hand-picked that I'd raised for babies and. Uh, get ready to breed the next year. So I right. stayed out of the hobby for about six months and finally got back into it with some health friends, you know, who talked me into getting more animals again, not giving up. But yeah, it was it was a rough one. For sure. Yeah, no kidding. You just never know what now I talk detectors around there was you know I just happened to catch it when I was down feeding you know and checking on them right and that's yeah, a big thing with, uh, you know smoke detectors you know in case of fires you know it's kind of like um, almost like you were setting up a child's room mm -hmm. you know basically how we have to think about our reptiles and our pets you know because just like a child you know they don't have any you know they don't have opposable thumbs to even react to any, you know, emergency that they might encounter. So, you know, we've Absolutely. got to get these warning systems set up and things like that. Yeah. It's Jimmy, as far as uh, what other type of warning systems are out there, do you know of any, Jimmy, as far as uh, 
what might impact uh, you know a reptile collection? You know, um, other than like regular household alarm systems um, to contact via cell phone, I was talking with uh, Kirsten over at Blue Maestro, and they're actually working on a system that'll actually um, their temple will actually send the data and be able, if it reaches a peak or a set level, it'll actually contact your phone for you. Um, you know, there are there are actual uh, um, uh, fire retardants and stuff that are mobile, so if there was a fire, you know, that they would actually, you could centralize it to your room versus the house or whatever. Um, I know some people keep their snakes out in the garage or out in the shed where typically there isn't any, you know, fire safety stuff. Um, so, you know, it, it's really tough. But most of, most of, like, the fires that we see come from electrical issues. And, and, and it's a real good situ uh, way to um, really set a plan with your collection. And I'm talking the mid-sized collections. Um, you know, Chad's was, you know, lower amount of animals. But I'm talking, we have a lot of guys in the colubrid world that have, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100, 150 snakes. So they have a pretty much a room. And, and a lot of people do have, you know, with geckos and stuff, they have a room committed to the reptile collection. And um, it's really, you have to find a way to integrate some of the technologies that are coming out into that direct room. And when it comes to electrical issues, check your outlets. I mean, that's the thing. Check your outlets twice, three times a year, just like you do your, your uh, fire alarms or change your AC, you know, or heater filters. You know, set it up and make sure that you check it. So, like, th three times a year, I go through my whole entire room. I check all the heat tape. I check all the heat cable. I check all the thermostats. I check all the plugs. Um... I make sure that, you know, there's no black marks in, in the plugs where it might be shortened out. Um, I, I check over, you know, all the heat tape, make sure I don't see any shorts. Um, so I do a lot of that, and I dust regularly. I mean, with snakes, we really do create a lot of dust in that room, and it won't take much um, for one little arc to get a pile of dust on fire. And I think that's where a lot of it may may come to play is, you know, people just need to make sure that everything is clean and you check everything. Right. I never thought of the dust being an issue. Like, I, I've i seen the dust that shows up in a couple of months, and I never really thought to sort of check around the outlets or, like, the actual power bars to make sure they're free of debris because stuff falls down, and that's something I need to add to my list for sure just to... Because I check heat cable and heat pads and anything like that that's going and all the light connections, but I don't actually dust anywhere around the bar, which I should be. So. Well, you know well, with you those know with bars, bars, we usually set them up where they're upright, and you can grab the little child safety plugs, the little plastic ones, and put them in the empty units that you're not using. So when you take when you have the strip bar, any of the plugs you're not using, some of them nowadays you can just slide, just slide it over and close it, it closes, closes off, off, but you can put the child safety plugs in there as well. The empty plug.
Chad, you're Chad, talking you're and nobody can hear you. Go Marty. back. Am I not? Am I muted? You're good now. Oh, I don't remember what I said. Oh, I said empty, uh, empty plugs on power bars means more room for more reptiles, so that doesn't happen. There's lots of feedback uh, when Jake was talking uh, to Becky. There was lots of feedback. That's what we were uh, trying to get across to you there. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> That's why everybody was jumping on the muting the microphone thing and trying to get it adjusted as quickly as possible. It's a Google Live Hangout. What do you want? <laughs> get all the issues of live. That's why we're not pre-taped. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, boy. You know, and the other thing, speaking of fires, you know, that's the other natural disaster I ran into uh, out in San Diego, Jimmy, was we would sometimes, you know, we would always get the wildfires, um, usually in the drier areas around San Diego. And then back in October of, uh, gosh, I don't remember what year it was now. I think it was 2009 or something like that. Uh, there was one that came real close to our house, and we ended up, having to evacuate uh, with our animals. And that was a real wake-up call for us because I, I had somewhat of a plan in place, but not, you know, something concrete, as it were. So when the time came, it was uh, real interesting to, you know, have that situation thrown on you and not be prepared. So definitely have a plan put together and, uh, yeah, yeah. Be prepared. It's really scary when you're not prepared and that stuff happens. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a big financial responsibility, too. And, I, you know, I hate going back to that. But, it, you know, when we get these animals, it's a big financial responsibility for us to make sure that these animals are um, taken care of. And you have to be able to house these things on a whim. And uh, so... You know, I know a lot of people don't think about it, but they need to stop. They need to look and, and look at where they are in the country, whether you're in Canada like Becky and you have four or five-day, you know, power outages, or you, yeah. you like you, John, out in California with wildfires where you – what do you have, 24 hours to evacuate if that? Hey, you got two hours. Pack your stuff up and get out. Yeah, one of them was eight – uh, four hours we had. So – or, you know, um, in Rachel's case, Rachel, you know, you got a tsunami coming your way. You don't have very much time to really pack and pack up. So, um, I mean, what's the average for a, a tsunami emergency? You know, what do they kind of give you? Is it 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours a day? Um, well, if there's a tsunami that hits close by, it will hit our coast within 10 to 15 minutes. So pretty much you just have to run for safer ground. And they have signs telling you where to go. You know, there's meeting signs and stuff like that. But, I mean, if there, if there was a tsunami disaster, this area, we have two bridges that go out. In order to get out of our area, you have to go over a bridge. And if there was a tsunami, both of those bridges would be taken out. So we would pretty much be stuck in the bay, like, for 
days. It could be days that, that that would happen, you know. Wow. Yeah. It could be a scary situation, but if you're, you know, if you're, if you have what you need, if you're prepared, like the crested geckos are really easy because for their food, you just mix up water with their little, I use Pangea Fruit Mix Complete. That's what I, what I use, and I'm going to try some, a couple other mixes too, but uh, you just mix that. I have plenty of that always on hand, and, and that's really easy, and I also breed my own feeders, so, I mean, I've got, I've got that for me, but even uh, with the heated geckos, like the, the leopard geckos, I wouldn't feed them if we had if we had no electricity or anything like that, because the food can actually rot in their bellies, you know, if they were on, if they didn't have heat for a long period of time, and that could be worse than <laughs> right. That could be really bad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Dang. So, so it's basically, I mean, coming up with a plan wherever you live. You know, whether you're living in Canada, whether you're living in Oregon, California, Florida, Ohio, um, you know, I wish we had had Tom and, and, and Bill on because Tom could give us some insight on what he does with the venomous stuff living in Florida and then Bill in Philadelphia. So um, and, and out in the Midwest, we have we have a bunch of herb keepers in um, North Dakota. You know, you get a lot of tornadoes. So it's all about plans, and, and hopefully everybody in the hobby takes a moment, thinks about where they are, and, and writes that plan down. Yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree more. So what do you say we take a break, Jimmy? Uh, come back in about 10 minutes? Actually, um, let's just tidy this one up. Okay. You know, um, due to the holiday last week, and holiday weekend, and uh, yeah. next week is the IHS also, so it's a pretty big season. Um, yeah, sure. You know, people getting uh, our guests on and uh, without technical issues is uh, a, a little rough, but really yeah. I don't have much more on the topic other than, you know, getting the word out and telling people, hey, here we go. And, it, yeah. you know, I'm going to mention this, and, and maybe somebody will pick it up in one of our audience maybe in your area if you could make a checklist of the things that you do and post it on our Facebook page. So if you, like, I live in Florida and I make a checklist on what I need to pack and how I need to do it and post it on Reptile Living Room Facebook fan page um, and then I'll call out somebody to write an article for Herp House Magazine. There we and, go. Uh, just for your specific area and, and just yeah. to short a short article on basically what you do and what your plan is. You know, what's your emergency plan for your area? Because everybody's different. And uh, I'd love to hear what everybody else's stories too as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in that, for sure. You know? So, anything else? I don't have anything else right at the moment. No, I think we pretty much covered everything in all the natural disasters we can think of anyway. <laughs> If not, they can hit the comment section down below. Yeah, there you go. Below. Hit the comment section down below and uh, type in your natural disaster in your area. And if you're watching us from the UK, Germany, Japan, um, I know we have people watching us from India, Australia. Um, I'll be glad to hear from you. And, and what kind of natural disasters do you guys happen have happen in your area? And, and how do you how do you you know keep your collection safe? Um, I'm always into hearing from different parts of the world. 
For sure. Chad, anything from you, sir? Nope. I gotta go find some cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking about that earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah. One uh, night. Here's your sign. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, a very special thanks to our uh, sponsor and uh, guest tonight, uh, Rachel Wichington from uh, Happy Gecko Sticky Situation. And uh, thanks to Becky and Chad for being on the show as well. Appreciate it as always. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see you guys next week right here in the Reptile Living Room. Jimmy? That's it. That's it. Next week, next week Thursday, Thursday night, night 9 o'clock. Catch us on YouTube, and we should have event pages up earlier this week, so hopefully we'll get to see everybody next week. Thanks a lot, and have a great weekend.